0: I uh, felt like we couldn't start a series out that was called More Than Words without starting with that song. It just felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, uh, Anybody in here, you just got transported back to high school or middle school, maybe. We even had the lights from like the middle school dance. That was like the whole feel we were going for. Um, Guys, you remember uh, asking a girl to dance for the very first time? Uh, Maybe uh, it was your friends that you were egging on to ask a girl to dance for the first time at that middle school dance. Uh, Ladies, you can remember maybe being asked by a guy for the first time and went through, you know, that whole experience from from that side of it. Um, I wanna ask you a question and I'd love for us to all answer at the same time on the count of three. But what one word, what one word would you use to describe that experience? One, two, three. (laughs) See, y'all could have said it a little bit louder. Y'all weren't very confident on that. But yeah, it's awkward, right? And even now when we, when we see it on TV or we watch it in the movies, we see that scene where, where the boy's trying to get the courage up to go ask the girl to dance. Like we can feel it in that moment. We can feel the awkwardness of the moment. And from the outside looking in, it looks super simple. It's like, hey, just go talk to her, man. It's not that big of a deal. Like just, just go do it. But, but when you're in it, it's a totally different experience. It's not that simple, is it? And that's why that's why we create these uh, ways around it. Uh, nowadays, kids just text. You know, it's like you know, just they text if they're going to ask anything important. It's like, hey, will you marry me? You know, they they send the text right. Back then, we didn't have cell phones, so we had to do the whole write actually write a note uh, with paper and pen, your pencil. You remember that? And then we would put just check yes or no on it. You know, the old George Strait country music song, just check yes or no. It's like that's we tried to we tried to take the awkwardness out of it. And we tried to limit our chances of somehow uh, messing it up. But again, it just oftentimes came back to this feeling right here. And the interesting thing is, interesting thing is there's a similar experience that we have when it comes to you and me talking to God. When it comes to this idea of prayer or approaching God, we can get nervous. We can make it awkward. We can get overly concerned about what to say. And we can hesitate and, and, and you know, delay and delay and delay when the whole time it's like, hey, just go do it. you know, Or maybe we end up balking on it altogether or we try it out and, and then we wonder on the other side, I wonder if I've just messed up this whole thing. And that's totally understandable. Do you think about the middle school boy, he, he, in that moment where he's delaying and he's trying to figure out if he's gonna get it right, he, he's dealing with something that he doesn't necessarily understand. He's dealing with something beautiful, something wonderful, something mysterious. And he really doesn't want to mess it up. And when we, when you and I, when we are approaching God, we are dealing with what most people would agree is an invisible, all-powerful, so massive, in many ways, incomprehensible being who, oh yeah, happens to hold our eternal destiny in his hands. I mean, what is there to be nervous about, right? Yeah, so no wonder, no wonder we get a little bit nervous. And so, in our nerves, we do what the middle school boy does. And we put far too much weight on the words rather than just going for it. We end up making different assumptions about prayer. We assume, uh, here's the first one, that um, it's just about saying the right words. You know, if I can just get the right words or say the words in the right combination, then God will ultimately do what I'm asking to do and asking Him to do. And, And we end up in that moment kind of treating God like He's this cosmic vending machine where if we just punch in the right numbers and the right code, that we will get what we want in return. Except for that analogy kind of falls short because you don't have the ability to shake God like you shake a vending machine when the thing gets hung up just a little bit. So we make it about saying the right words or we, we can make it about saying enough words. You ever done this? You thought to yourself, ah, maybe if I just prayed more, it would work. Maybe if I prayed more than just Sundays, maybe if I started praying during the week, every single day, maybe multiple times a day. And we begin to think that it's just a matter of quantity, that if we hit the line, that there's some sort of imaginary line out there of how much we have to pray for God to listen. And if we hit the line, then we're good. And if you've ever done that, it's, it's, it's common to a lot of us, okay? This is, this is actually not a new idea. 2,000 years ago, Jesus uh, addressed this directly. So the same problem must've been going on back then because Jesus said this, he said, and when you pray, don't keep on babbling. So if you're, you're ever in a small group and someone's going on and on with their prayer, you can just stop them in the middle of it. Say, hey, don't keep babbling. Jesus says so, okay? Don't, don't keep on babbling like the pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. They think there's this line to hit and once you hit that line, you're good. And God will listen and he'll do what you want him to do So we weren't the first to try this out. It's, it's as old as mankind where we try to do our part to get God to do what he wants. And, and what's the result of this? When other people are doing it, we kind of get worn out with them. We're like, please stop praying. If, if you grew up in a certain kind of church where they would ask for volunteers, by like, who wants to close us in prayer today? And you're like secretly thinking, please do not call on that guy over there because I know if he, if he raises his hand, we're gonna be here for a while. Because that guy really, really likes to pray. So we don't like it when other people do it. But then when we fall prey to it or or, or give into that temptation, where does it lead us? What's the result? Well, we end up just tired or out, Or we end up getting mad at God because we feel like we've done our part and he didn't do his part. And maybe we even end up indifferent in that moment. We, we can end up like uh, Tim McGraw's character on the show 1883. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but uh, it's uh, the story of a family who's going out west on the Oregon Trail and uh, their daughter ends up getting sick and um, they're, they're trying to figure out where to take her, what they can do. And if you've seen the show, you know how she talks, but she was like, well, Daddy, what other options do we have? And he says, well, honey, we can pray. And she says, well, Daddy, you don't pray. And this was his response. He says, oh, I I pray, I pray plenty. It just hadn't worked. (laughs) And this is where we can find ourselves. Where we feel like we've prayed plenty, but it just hadn't worked. Is this where you are today? Does this describe you? Does this describe some part of your story? Maybe, Maybe you feel like you're kind of further down the road and you kind of have prayer figured out. You're comfortable with it. Maybe you're somewhere in between, whatever your comfort level with it, whatever your background, whatever type of a church you grew up in, or you didn't grow up in church at all. We, we can all agree, we can all agree that if there's a way to get prayer, right, we want to, and if there's a way to experience more out of prayer, then we want to experience that. And that is what we're after in this series, more than words. We're looking at what Jesus taught on prayer, but he, he said a lot of different things on prayer. So we're looking at the one instance where he most clearly and directly addresses this idea. And what we'll see, this is kind of the overarching theme of the whole series. So if you end up having to leave early today or you fall asleep or you're checking out on Amazon later and you don't catch the, the bottom line, here's, here's the bottom line is that it's, it's not about the words. It's more than words. What Jesus describes, as we'll see in these three weeks, he describes a lifestyle, describes a way of living, a pathway, a posture that we should have in every facet of life. And the, the scripture that uh, we're going to use over the next three weeks, it comes from Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. It's one of um, his most extensive teachings that we have in the New Testament. And he gets on this topic of prayer and that's, that's where he says, don't keep babbling. And he says a few other things. And then finally, he just gets to the point. And he says, this, this then is how you should pray. And what he says next is something that we all know. Or we've at least heard at some point, even if this is your first time in church, your entire life, you have heard the words that Jesus says next. It's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And you probably heard it growing up. You maybe have memorized it. In fact, if I started the prayer, we probably most of us could join in and at least get some of the words right. Maybe you heard parents or grandparents recite this. Maybe your church, you know, it was, it was a part of every Sunday the church together would recite this. Maybe you were on a, a sports team that would say this before they competed. I know for me, I was uh, on a football team in high school that every single Friday night we would all, you know, gather up and say this before we left the locker room. And I mean, guys would be kind of looking around. And I mean, they, they don't even, they're, they're not followers of Jesus, not believers, not, they're, they're not even interested in it, but they knew the words. They could recite the Lord's Prayer. And so you, you may be tempted to think, ah, I've I've heard this before, I know it, but I just wanna encourage you, don't check out. Stay plugged in over the next three weeks because we're gonna approach it in a new way and we're gonna dive into uh, this teaching from Jesus and try to draw out some of the richness of what he talked about when he directly and clearly addresses this idea of prayer. And today we're only going to make it through the first two words. Jesus said this. He said, this then is how you should pray, our. The first thing Jesus shows you and me about prayer is that it is not about you and me. We can't pray like Jesus prayed, like Jesus taught us to pray and make it just about ourselves, which is not good news because it means that I miss it a lot. And I imagine you do too, because how do our prayers often sound? They they often sound like this, don't they? Help me bless me, give me. I mean, this is easy to do. This is what comes naturally, but we didn't learn this from Jesus. And as we follow him, we'll learn a different way. As we set our attention on him and try to live out what he taught, we'll live a different way, which is our, our. What it does is it connects us with every other person. Right at the outset of this prayer, Jesus is leveling the playing field with all of us. And, um, you may have experienced or seen some division from Christians over the last couple of years over various issues. And uh, I, I really wonder if this alone might help with all the division we've experienced. People who call themselves Jesus followers and have treated you poorly or, or maybe you've just gotten into them and it's like, hey, like we're both followers of Jesus. We ought to be on the same page, but you're just not on the same page. Uh, I wonder how much this would help because it's, it's hard to start with our and then start praying down calamity on the other person. <laughs> it's, it's hard to start with our father and think about how we're, we're all connected in this. We are all his creation. And then go, God, would you just, you know, would you stop him? Would you just stop him? Would you make her quit and make her stop? I mean, she's wrong. Would you just show her she's wrong by like, you know, giving her a flat tire today or, you know, I'm not saying anybody in this room would pray something like that, but... You know, starting with R connects us with those people. And I think, I think it was intentional on Jesus's part. In John 17, he's, he's, uh, this long prayer is recorded from Jesus where he's praying for all of the people that would believe in him through the centuries, including you and me. And his prayer is this, that we would be one. He says, God, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. That's Jesus's desire for us. So this hour was no accident. It was purposeful. He's calling our attention to the connectedness we have with others. And so he starts there. And then he says this next, again, you know this. He says, our father. And I imagine that doesn't give you much of a response or much of a reaction today. Um, because even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you have heard this. You've heard people reference God in this way. You've heard people talk this way, pray this way. For some of us, we've been in church our whole lives and we've heard people address God in this way. And the reason why it's normal and it's comfor- comfortable to you is because of Christianity. It's because of the Jesus movement over the last 2000 years. In the first century, this would have been shocking. Ancient Judaism um, would occasionally uh, use father to illustrate what God is like, but it was never a direct address. So uh, the people in Jesus's audience, mostly Jewish people, again, this would have been been a brand new thought. And the same thing was true for pagan religions. Even people outside of ancient Judaism, they, they rarely, if ever, would illustrate God as father, but much less address him in that way. So when Jesus said to pray this way, if, if all we see this through is our 21st century lens, we will miss the impact of it. We'll have a tendency to gloss over it or ignore it. Or we see it as just a formality. I know I've been guilty of this before, that you almost see this as dear God. Like if I was writing a letter to God, this is just the opening. It's like, you gotta put something there to address it to God and it's dear God. But with a first century lens, this was huge. This was a massive shift when Jesus said, this is how you address God. And his, his opponents would have flipped out in that moment. They would have thought this is way too familiar. This is way too presumptuous. You cannot, talk. this is blasphemy. You can't do this. But as to, to his followers, they just said, wait a second. This seems different. This seems gracious and personal. Even, even the word father doesn't necessarily fully grasp it because to us, that can feel a bit formal. But the real word that Jesus used, the actual word in the original language is Abba. And Abba gives an entirely different feeling, an entire different meaning behind it. Abba was intimate. It was close. It was more of a feeling of dad, what we would have in our culture today, how we use the word dad dad. Jesus introduced this, this word Abba. And then we see that the early church in the first couple hundred years of the church, they used Abba to address Dad. They adopted it into their language. Jesus is saying, this is how you should address God. So if we are to address God in this way, if it's supposed to be like he's dad, we, we need to take just a second and clear up a few things about what it means to be a dad. Did, did you know, did you know, you probably knew this, that there is a difference between becoming a dad and being a dad? Becoming a dad involves a process that we call, I'm just kidding, I don't have to get, like, <laughs> we good? We, we don't need to go there, right? There's a huge difference between becoming a dad and being a dad. I began to discover this when I became a dad about 12 years ago. Uh, my wife and I, um, our first kids were twins. And so immediately um, we were playing man-to-man coverage. Does that make sense? <laughs> we, we couldn't play zone. We, we couldn't do this thing of like two adults and one little baby. And we, you know, we just play zone and we keep, you know, keep things under control. No, we were man-to-man from the start, which meant that my journey was a little bit different than the journey of some of my friends who were also having kids at the same time. I was up at every feeding. I was throughout the day, you know, helping out in every way that I could, jumping in. There's just no way that one person could do it. And I would actually talk to some of my friends and, and they would be like talking like they don't get up in the middle of the night. And they, and they would be like, what? They, they'd be so surprised. to be like, you get up in the middle of the night? You know? And I'd be like, listen, let me, I'd have to bite my lip and bite my tongue a little bit because it was a completely different experience. But what I, what I began to hear in those days is people would come over and visit the twins and they'd kind of see us in action and people would make this statement. They'd be like, oh, he's such a good dad. He's such a great dad. And like, all I'm doing is like taping, taking out the diaper genie or, you know, cleaning a bottle or changing a diaper. I mean, I, I just, I was just doing normal stuff and people were like, oh, he's such a great dad. Meanwhile, Kelly's sitting over there. She has grown these two babies in her, inside her belly. She has delivered them and she is keeping them alive. And oh, he's such a good dad over there. <laughs> and I was like, Something, something's not setting right when I'm hearing this. And, and then it began to dawn on me. And this actually has become a filter for me that I've used through the years. It's been really helpful as a dad. I thought maybe, maybe what's going on there is that people are giving me credit for being a great dad, but really in that moment, all I'm doing is being a dad. I'm just being a dad. I'm not being a great dad or a good dad in that moment. I'm just being a dad. I'm I'm living out the responsibility that I've been given when I became a father. And I think for all of us that it might help to begin to look at dads or, or being a dad in that light that it's no longer about good or bad, but rather, are you being a dad? Are you living out the responsibility that you've been given when you became a dad? Or for your, or your, your story, if, if you're not a dad, you think about your own dad. And, and you've labeled him as good or bad. But the reality is it's, it's probably a mixture of a lot of that. And there were moments where he was being a dad. And there were moments where he was checked out and he was being something else altogether. So let's suspend the language. Good dad, bad dad. Great dad. Great dad deadbeat dad and let's look at it through the lens of you're either being a dad or you're not and if we're going to do that we we need to answer the question what does being a dad look like what are some of the the things that describe it when a father is actually being a dad and so i want to go through a list here in just a second but i realize that in the room um there's people from all different backgrounds, all different experiences. This may bring up some emotion for you, and I want to be sensitive to that. If if you've been on an infertility journey and you haven't been able to become a dad, this may be hard to hear. If you're a single mom and you're looking at this list, and every single one of them is just like, "Yep, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that." It may be a hurtful thing, uh, or just moms in general. You may see this list and go, "Well, wait, I do a lot of those things. It's not mutually exclusive." I'm not saying that moms can't also do these things, but this is what being a dad looks like. Let's take a look at it. The first one, and these are in no particular order, but provision. A dad provides for physical needs, but not just food and clothing and shelter. In addition, they, they provide for emotional needs, mental needs. They help direct their kids spiritually. They teach them about life and about God and what it looks like to follow Jesus. Dads are present. To be a dad, you have to be around. To be a dad, you have to be around, not every waking moment. You know, some people, you may, you may hear it and go, wait, wait, I have to travel for work, so I'm not there a lot. And it's like, well, some travel's fine. But then there's also, there's some jobs that, let's just be honest, they prevent you from being a dad. Next one, attentive. When you are around, are you paying attention? If you think about through your own lens, your own dad was, when he was present, was he really present? Was he also attentive? This is why when we see on a TV show or a movie, a dad that's, that's there, but he's sucked into social media or TV or the game, like in that moment, we know that something's off with that. And what's going on is he's not really being a dad in that moment. Not just attentive, but also caring. What's the posture of the attention that you're giving your kids. Dads are not only attentive, but they're also caring. A lot of times we can, and I'm guilty of this too, we can, we can fall into this place where, yeah, we're giving our kid attention, but it's very critical. And it's like kind of just a subtle disappointment in you wanting them to approve and, and improve and wanting them to learn. And so we're just constantly pointing out ways that they can improve. And instead, we're not caring for them in that moment. When we're being a dad, we're authentically caring. Next one, genuine delight. Genuine delight. There are times where our kids drive us up the wall. I won't ask for a show of hands, okay? Because I don't need one. I know that there's times where our kids drive us up the wall, but if there are not times of genuine delight, then something's wrong. I mean, if we look at at another story and we see a dad that has no delight in his sons or his daughters, we know that something's wrong there. And what's going on in that moment is he's not being a dad. Gentle. As adult human beings, our kids cannot handle the full breadth of our strength. And so as a dad, our strength needs to be under control, which is gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness. It's not acquiescing. It's not just throwing up our hands and going, okay, just whatever. We're just going to let you run over me. No, it's not that. It's strength under control. Strength under control. This is one that I struggle with often with my kids because when they're not getting it the first time or the second time or third time, I have a a, a tendency to raise my voice and in doing so lose my gentleness. About a year ago, I was the head coach of the boys, uh, my my oldest two, my twins, football team. And I was teaching them something that was very simple. In my mind, it was very simple and very fundamental to football. And as I talk them through it, they weren't getting it. And so I talked through it louder. And they still didn't get it. So I cranked up the volume a little bit more. And it was probably my worst, worst time of that entire season last year. I got to the point where I was literally yelling on the football field. And in that moment, I had stopped being their dad. I had become their coach in the, I don't know what, coach or something else in that moment. But I wasn't in that moment being their dad when I had lost All gentleness. So gentleness is important. Then the last one, and I didn't have a great word here for the last one, but the last one is bigger picture. Being a dad requires seeing more than just what's going on in the moment and, and being able to look past what kids think is best in the moment, but rather answering the question, what will lead him or her to become the young man or the young woman that she is supposed to be or that he is supposed to be? So this is like in that moment where your kids ask for ice cream. It's like, sure, once? Yeah, absolutely. Let's get it. Every now and then, that's great. But for every meal? No. I can see the bigger picture. You can see the bigger picture. You know that's not what's going to lead them to a good place. So being a dad will require saying no to your kids at some point. So here's the list. It's what it looks like to be a dad. Now I'm curious, if, if you were to rate yourself in this category, if you are a dad in the room, how would you rate yourself in each of these categories? And you've probably already done this, but if you think about your own dad, for everybody in the room, you think about your own dad, where would he fall in these categories? I know for me, when I think about this, I have a tendency to begin to feel shame because I'm not knocking it out of the park on any of these I'm not hundred percent on any of these. Some of them, I'm probably 50%. So if you're feeling a little bit of that, I just, I just want you to know that's, that's normal, but I, I bring it up because this is what being a dad means. And if we're gonna pray like Jesus prays, this is gonna be important to see. So, so back to Jesus and this prayer that he prayed. What he's trying to get us to see when we pray our father is this right here. This is who you're praying to. When you think about God, when you talk to God, Jesus is saying, I want you to see him as one who provides. A God who's present. And he's attentive and he's caring. He's not just critiquing your life. He's not just mildly disappointed in your life. He's caring. He he has genuine delight in you and me. He's gentle. He's got all the strength of the universe. Yet, thankfully, he has that under control when he deals with us and when he leads us. He's very patient in the way that he leads and guides us. And then... We pray to a God who can see the bigger picture. There are times where our God will say no to us. It's what we see in the moment. It's what we think matters most in the moment. It's what we think we want. But because God can see the bigger picture, he knows, no, that's not the best thing for who you are becoming. This is what Jesus was leading us to right at the beginning of this prayer. And Jesus was saying, Jesus was saying, knowing who you are praying to matters. Knowing who you are praying to matters. Knowing who you're calling on matters. A few weeks ago, I was driving down the road. Um, my twins were in the car with me, had the radio on. It was playing country music. And, and one of my, uh, the, the song that was on was Five O'Clock Somewhere by Alan Jackson. Um, I won't ask you to sing it right now. Um, but my kids, one of the twins said, hey, dad, uh, is, are there any country music songs that aren't about uh, beer, uh, alcohol, or having a good time on a Friday night? And I thought, no, that's, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all country music right there in those categories. And, and then it got to the point of the song where it said, uh, you know, what would Jimmy Buffett do? And Jimmy Buffett starts singing. And my, guy, my twins go, Jimmy Buffett? They're all confused. They're like, wait, wait, dad, Jimmy Buffett. Why, why would Jimmy Buffett be singing this song? And I was like, well, boys, it's, I mean, it's what you do if you write a song about the beach and having a good time at the beach. You call Jimmy Buffett and you see if he'll sing a part of your song. And if he does, if he says, yes, you just made a lot more money because your song will sell if you're singing about having a good time at the beach. And they just didn't seem like they really took that as a good answer. And I felt like I explained it really, really well. And the song ends and we ended up cutting, cutting the radio off and, and they continued to be confused, I could tell. And they, they were like, I just, Jimmy Buffett, like, really? And I was like, yeah. And I'm like, why, why don't y'all get it? What's, what's the deal? And they were like, well, isn't he the guy that gives stock advice? I thought, well, well, kudos to these 12-year-olds for knowing who Warren Buffett is. But I was like, guys, that's Warren Buffett. And like in that moment, it made entire, like no wonder they were so confused. They're imagining Warren Buffett singing five o'clock somewhere. And, and here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you want stock advice, Warren Buffett is your guy. You should call Warren. But if you want to have a good time in the Bahamas and you want somebody that's going to sing your song about having a good time at the beach, you do not want to call Warren Buffett. You want to call Jimmy. Be a much better experience in the end. So knowing who, you're, knowing who you're calling matters. And Jesus is saying, knowing who you're praying to matters. And there's times where you and I can think we're calling Warren Buffett when really we're calling Jimmy Buffett, knowing who, you pray, who you're praying to matters. A. W. Tozer is a famous author, theologian. He's got this famous quote that says this: Knowing, uh, excuse me, what comes into our minds, what comes into our minds when we think about God, is the most important thing about us. It's the most important thing about us. The images the emotions, the thoughts that come to mind when we think about God. Which is what Jesus was trying to get us to see when he said, this then is how you should pray. Here's the list again. This is it. And I think that Jesus starts here because he knows if, if we don't start here, we'll get the rest of the prayer wrong. Again, you you probably know how the prayer goes, but hallowed be your name. We'll say that from a much different place. When we say give us today our daily bread, it's almost like we'll be begging or we'll be pleading if we don't see that God is already attentive to our needs. He's already caring. He genuinely delights in us. He provides for us. When we say forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, it's asking in a way of, I, I don't know, I'm pleading my case, I'm just trying to clean my slate here. I'm not sure what I'll receive. We can say the same words, but in an entirely different way. That's why it's crucial. It's crucial that we start here and that we get this right. So, the question for you today does this describe the God? that you pray to? When you pray, when you approach God, when you think about God, is this who you think of? When you have conversations in your small group and you're talking about God, you're talking about faith, talking about following him, is this the God who comes to your mind? When you read your Bible and you have some sort of personal quiet time, is this the God you think of? When you're having a conversation with a friend and God comes up, faith comes up, church comes up, is this what comes into your mind? Does this describe the God that you pray to? And we can Drill this down and make it even more specific. Let's just pick one word. Let's just pick present. A really simple and specific question we all should answer is, where is God when I'm praying to him? Have you ever thought about this? Where is God when you're praying to him? You may have never thought about that before, but where do you picture him when you talk to God? Is he, is he in the cosmos? Up in the universe Somewhere? Is he in the heavens looking down? Or is he here? Is he in the room? Is he in your car? Is he with you? Or even is he inside of you? The New Testament teaches that his Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Christ dwells inside of us. Where is God? Where is God when you pray to him? Is he present? And we're all guilty. We're all guilty of treating God at some point in our lives like he's really, really far away. And that we have to go to great lengths to get to him. But all the while, he's right here. He's with you and he's in you. When Kelly and I were first married, we had the opportunity uh, to go over to Italy. She had a friend from a previous um, job that she had that lived in Italy. She said, hey, come visit us anytime. So we took her up on that offer and uh, went over there. Um, and a couple days we got to spend in Rome. And one of the nights we were in Rome, I, I planned out this um, this great dinner and dessert. We were gonna have dinner at one restaurant and dessert at another. And I'm an Enneagram seven. So I really love like these type experiences. So I had gotten the Rick Steves book out and I was studying everything about it. And I found, okay, this is the part of town we wanna go in. And this is the restaurant we're gonna eat at. This is where we're gonna have dessert. And we're off into our evening. And and, uh, uh, sure enough, dinner was amazing. It felt like we were in someone's home. There was about four or five tables, very small restaurant and it seemed like the family was waiting on us. I mean, bringing us food, just food after food after. We, in a normal situation, we, we would have called ourselves full at the end of the night. Um, but uh, because I had this second location where we were gonna have dessert, it's like, yeah, there's still room, you know, for uh, a little sweet, sweet something at the, uh, at, at, the, at the end of the meal. So I, uh, I was looking at the map and I was like, okay, it's, it's, gonna, be, it's gonna be about a 15 minute walk. And this was before Uber and all that. So it's like, it wasn't easy to just get a cab, especially in a foreign country. And so I was like, Kelly, I think we can walk there. I think we can make it. It'll take about 15 minutes. Now, the only problem was Kelly had broken her ankle and she was in a cast and couldn't walk. And so um, I ended up renting a wheelchair to take her around Rome in. And I don't know if you're familiar with Rome, but it's all cobblestone streets. So I talk Kelly into let's go check out this dessert place. It's gonna be awesome, it's gonna be worth it. And we take off from the restaurant, and it's just, it's just like, you know, the whole time, right? And she's got her foot extended on the thing and it's bouncing, she's bouncing, I'm bouncing, she's like looking up at me, like, how much longer, you know? And I'm like, I'm I'm like, honey, I promise the cannoli will be worth it, you know. <clears throat> And 15 minutes turns into 20 minutes, 20 turns into 25. I keep coming around the corner going, okay, it should be here, should be here, should be, finally we get there. And I look up and it's like, that's not the restaurant. And I look back at the map and I look, I'm like, it's supposed to be right here. That is not what's right here. And it's then when I look at the map for the 15th time that I realize I've misread the map, which was bad enough. But the problem, biggest problem, was that the dessert place was right next door to the place that we ate dinner. So I couldn't even make eye contact with Kelly in this moment. I'm like, and we decided, yeah, we are full. Yeah, we're full. We're done. No more dessert. Call it a night. We went to great lengths to get to that dessert. We went hobbling along block after block when all the while that dessert was right next door. It was right there. Now, the good news is, spoiler alert, we're still married. We made it through, okay? But that story for me has become a reminder of what we can so often do with God. We can treat him the same way. We think he's way over there and that we've got to go striving or straining or scrambling to go meet him. Yet all the while, All the while, this is who your heavenly father is. He's present. He's a provider. He's caring. He's gentle. He genuinely delights in you. This is who your heavenly father is. And it's the first thing that Jesus draws our attention to when he says this, then is how you should pray. Does this describe the God you pray to? When you think about God, when, when images and thoughts and feelings come into your mind, is this what you think about when you think about God? Today, I wanna to leave us with a question. Um, it's your, your homework for the week. I want you to ask this question every single day. And um, if you wanna ask it multiple times a day, there's extra credit, okay? I'll give you extra credit for that. But here's the question. What... What might our father be up to in my life today? What might our father be up to in my life today? And the different parts of this question are really important. They're all intentional. First is, is what? It's, it's just get curious about it. Pay attention to it. Think about it. Might. What might he be up to? It's not, we're not forcing it here. We're not trying to manipulate something or create something We we may notice something that he's doing, or we may not. There may be something that he's doing in our lives that we're not ready to see it. We're not ready to know it. So be kind to yourself in this. What might our father, our father, we're connected with others and he is our father. He's good. He's close. He cares deeply. He's working for our good. What might he be up to in my life? This makes it personal. He's not just the God of the cosmos. He's not way out there somewhere. He is present in our details right here and right now. And then lastly, today. What's he up to in my life today? I love this part of the question because we so often make Christianity about our eternity and what happens after we die. But this highlights the fact for us that no, it's about an ongoing relationship right now, today. Our Father's so good, and He's present, and He's active in our lives right now. Ask this this week. I would encourage you to give it some space. You may have to pause in your day. Take a few minutes. Ask this question. Take a few deep breaths and see what God brings to mind. See what He brings to mind. I'm not saying that everything that comes to your mind in that moment is from God, but I think he may bring some things to mind for you. And it it may take some getting used to. When you first do it, it may feel a little awkward. It may feel different. But just pause this week and ask that question. Some examples of what he might bring to mind. He, He may want to heal some part of you. That may be what he's up to. Some past hurt, some current thing that you're going through. You may sense that he's saying, hey, I, I want to heal this part of you. Maybe he wants you to forgive someone. He's leading you to let go of that grudge, let go of that bitterness. Maybe you'll experience him preparing you or strengthening you for something. Maybe he just wants to bring you rest in the midst of a busy week. You hear him say, or you sense him saying, I want to give you rest today. Maybe he wants to um, bring you productivity lead you in some sort of achievement? Could be, it could be big. But it could be really small as well. Ask that question this week. And even if nothing comes to mind, this question right here is still a win. Asking it will frame our minds in the way that Jesus would want them framed when he was saying this then is how. You should pray. God, what are you up to? in my life today let's pray together and as we pray I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different I'd love for us to all just start with these first two words all together in this room watching online driving down the road listening to this I want you to start with these first two words that Jesus taught us to pray we're going to say them all together here we go our Father Let's say it again. Our Father, one more time, our Father. God, would you help us see you when we pray those words? So many of us uh, have gotten so used to that, we gloss over it without even experiencing the weight, the gravity of what you're saying in that moment, Jesus we thank you that that is the type of God you are, that is the type of father you are, present and attentive and caring. Seeing the bigger picture and leading us in it. Help us to trust that. Help us to believe that. Help us follow in your direction. Even in the moments where it's hard, life's not making sense, pray that we would lean into you as our good father. In Jesus' name,